Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And this week, we're talking with Denver, Colorado's Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project. I'm Tim Dennis, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Brian Hewitt. Hey, Tim. Joining us today, we have Chad Jacobson and Troy Montrone of Crooked Stave. We're going to talk about brewing beers with bretomyces, barrel aging, and blending. And if we get our fill of wild and sour beers, maybe some uh, clean beer talk, too. Troy, Chad, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Brian, you you know what? You did something I, I've heard a few people do. You dropped the and in the middle of uh, Britannomyces. Yeah, I know. Britannomyces. I've heard that a good bit, though. You know better, though. I usually, I, I know it so well, I usually just call it Brett. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, again, thanks for joining us. We opened a beer here, and uh, we kept it kind of mysterious before we started, but it's one that... Uh, uh, Chad, I think, kind of holds a special place for you. We're we're drinking the Orval over here. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, so that now that beer kind of got some magic started for you. Is that right? Absolutely. It really was uh, the foundation, you know, of, of breaking into Britannomyces and the realization of Britannomyces' use in what I consider like commercial beer. You know, Orval makes beer. They make a good amount of beer and send it around the world. And to have a beer like that that isn't like all the other Trappist ales and has the Britannomyces is foundational yeah i think it's one that maybe doesn't get as you know kind of the old school guys still appreciate it, but i'm sure. not sure the these new kids on the block i'm not sure they quite appreciate what it is there i you know i haven't thought about that but actually now that you're saying it that's it's absolutely true it's it's iconic to so many people and but it's taken for granted maybe or just for some reason hasn't been passed on generation to generation for some reason Sure. And that's something, you know, Brian and I talked not too long ago about not too long ago here in Georgia. If you wanted craft beer, most of it was Belgian beer. Sure. You know, and we would we just drank a ton of it. But with the growth here and everywhere else, we're getting a lot more distribution here. We unintentionally forget some of these beers that we really loved a few years back, you know. Definitely. You know, it was such an eye opener when I first had this. I was It's Trappist. So I'm like, well, I know what the Trappists are, the right. quads, your triples and all that. And I had this and I'm like. Hang on a minute. The game has been changed, <laughs> yes. Brian. I'm like, how how have I not known about this? So yeah, Absolutely. definitely a it's definitely a great beer. It's really overlooked. What'd you get up to uh, this week, Tim? I had a good week. We had uh, a big day for us last weekend, Brian. We released our Struzu collaboration with Reformation Brewery here in Cairns. Had a good time with that. Nice turnout there. Uh, you know, strawberry yuzu Berliner Weiss that we had a good time with, and. Went over to BHB, Burnt Hickory Brewery, here in Kennesaw, Georgia. Had a few beers there. And I'll be honest, Brian, I, I was pretty lightweight this week. Other than that, you know, I did our I did our can release and I went to Burnt Hickory. 
and that was about it. But you got into a little bit more, right? Yeah, I did. I got tricked into going in, into a uh, three and a half mile hike. But uh, at the end of that, I had some uh, some Irish pub food and I had an unusual black and tan made with Orpheus transmigration of souls. I've, it was actually not bad. It's a very odd combination. Really? I think we called it Dark Soul or something like that. Uh, very cool. And uh, and that Orpheus, that's a big IPA. So it's uh, very double IPA. Uh, that's yeah. a, that was I wasn't sure, but that's an odd combination for black and tan. Man. It's it's unusual. I don't know if the cans were the freshest, so it might have actually been at an advantage for the cans not to be as fresh because it wouldn't have quite as much punch to it. I thought it was pretty good. It was unusual. It was very very different and. Uh, then I spent all of Monday in jury duty. So that that's was good. Amazing. Doing your civic duty. Man. That's you right. Got to do it. Absolutely. They're, the bar there, the beer selection is terrible. Terrible at the courthouse. Terrible. Is it? Yes. Yeah. This oh, very hard to find anything. Troy, Chad, anything interesting for you guys this week? Oh yeah, tons of stuff for me. Uh, on my end, I have been neck deep in raspberries, blackberries, all sorts of delicious fruits that we have been emptying into our fooders, making exciting new beers that are. On the horizon, been making some really neat new recipes with Chad and really been grinding all week long and it's been a great week thus far. And I know Chad's week has been exponentially full. Yeah, absolutely. Chad, what's uh, what's been on your plate this week? Week to week as it goes. Yeah, I'm trying to strap yeah. the thing from today. <laughs> Every day changes. Um, no, one of the really exciting things was being up in Fort Collins yesterday uh speaking on a seminar panel on sensory and then popping over to our new location where our tap rooms being built yesterday was really day one of build out so we're in demo phase so that's okay. amazing getting to see some of the demo happen yeah you guys are are growing quite a bit here recently right so you got to keep all the beers brewing brilled out a new tap room so n- never any rest right never what's that yeah, I was going to say. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I've never that? even heard of I've that heard word. the term. I'm not sure what it means. Absolutely. Well, you know, Tim, I think it's time for the beers of the week. Crack open a cold one. It's the Truck and Tap Beer of the Week. Woo-hoo! Craft beer and food trucks in downtown Woodstock. Truckandtap.com. Well, Brian, as always, we've got a very good selection here. And thanks to Crooked Stay, they sent us some very nice beers. We enjoyed their Von Pilsner as our pregame brew today. We're also going to get into their uh, IPA and the Rosé. We also, Brian, you brought some. You brought an Origins, a Nightmare on Brett, and a Batch 200, correct? Yes, and I think all of them are several years old. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a good Crooked Stave sure. selection for this Crooked Stave show. It should definitely be good. Now, Brian, what's happening this week in the news? What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. Okay, the big news this week seems to be that Six Point has been acquired by Artisanal Brewing Ventures. Artisanal Brewing Ventures is the holding company that formed in 2016 with the merger of Victory Brewing and Southern Tier. The specifics of the deal were not disclosed, but as a result of this deal, Six Point will gain access to Southern Tier and Victory Brewing facilities. So the future of Six Point's production is under review. Currently, a number of their beers are actually contract brewed in Memphis, Tennessee, at a brewery named City Brewing Company. Okay. It's pretty interesting. It'd be interesting. You know, I didn't realize till reading the article today that uh, Artisanal Brewing Ventures was ABV was their, was their name. Yes. Oh, I didn't right? even think See? about that. There yeah, that's, yes. <laughs> that's embarrassing that I didn't think yeah. about that. So, Tim, do you remember when we talked about it being a virtual certainty that there would be 7,000 active breweries in the U.S. by the end of the year? I do recall that. That was like a month ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, as of October 31st, there were 7,082 active breweries in the U.S. That's something. That's 1,100 more breweries than the same time last year, and that's according to Bart Watson, the economist for the Brewers Association, as reported by craftbeer.com. Well, that's when we had Bart on the show. I believe we were like 100 or 70-something away from that, so that means... In about a month's time, we had another 100 breweries open across the country. That's believable to make sure, those figures. Absolutely. So another 2,000 craft breweries are on the way, and they're officially listed as, quote, in planning. So the question is now, how soon before we hit 9,000 breweries in the U.S. or even 10,000? Crazy. There's, there's just no telling. It's interesting because the growth of craft beer overall has slowed a bit in recent years. I'm wondering if the growth in breweries will slow a bit as a result or if it will continue to rock it up. I'm curious to see because we've had, you know, a lot of I posted this news online about the breweries passing 7000 highly divided in what public opinion is on this. You know, there's too many breweries. There's no way this growth can continue. You know, again, with our conversation with Bart, he said there's room there. It's going to the way we're going to grow is going to change. And there's pockets that don't really have room for growth, but others that have plenty of room for growth. And then again, with the shift to more local drinking, we'll probably see more smaller breweries. So the, the volume of beer produced may not scale up proportionally to the number of breweries opening, but we could see a lot more of our little neighborhood breweries with own premise sales as a big focus. And it would, it would be really cool to just have every neighborhood have its own little brewery. And you just went there when you, when you drank. Absolutely. As we've mentioned before, big beer can't catch a break. But we're hearing that big beer drinkers can catch a shard of glass in the leg. Apparently, there's an epidemic of exploding Corona bottles. The most recent victim was a California man who was badly cut and knocked unconscious by an exploding bottle and had to seek medical attention after the wound got infected. The guy in question was a retired lawyer, so this could get expensive for Corona, which is owned by Constellation Brands. How does a bottle knock, how does exploding bottle knock you out? I mean, that's some serious explosion. That's not yeah. a little bit of pressure. That's that's really blowing up. A there. lot of concussion there, right? That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> They're calling them hand grenades these days. So. All right. Literally, I think that was in the article, right? That's, I believe it, it went was. Went off like yeah. a grenade. Went off like a grenade. You're listening to the Beer Guys radio show. We do need to take a break, but we'll be back right after this. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing. Establishing a new standard in craft beer. We are Reformation Brewery, celebrating the reformer in you. Locally crafted within the renowned Etowah watershed of Woodstock, Georgia, Reformation creates yeast-forward brews full of aroma and flavor crafted to last. Come see us in beautiful Woodstock, Georgia, or a tour and tasting of unique brews that you can't find anywhere else. Reformation Brewery, set beer free. ReformationBrewery.com follow the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram well i'm sure i'd feel much worse if i weren't under such heavy sedation now back to the beer guys radio show Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you missed an episode, don't worry. All episodes are available as a podcast. 
Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss a show. We're talking with Chad Jacobson and Troy Montrone of Crooked Stave. Chad, we just opened your Sour Rosé beer. Can you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, I mean, where do I start? One of the amazing things about it is starting with the package that you just opened. So you just opened a 100% traditional sour beer made only by traditional means, fully fermented in wood fooders, all fermented with whole fruit, and it's in a can. In a can. It's in a can. Yeah. Madness. And it is not pasteurized either. That's something. That's not okay. That, that is the active microbes Absolutely. going, rocking and rolling in there. I mean, it's still... Uh, there, there might be a handful now, just about a year later or so that we started doing this that are, are starting to do it, but it is the first of its kind to ever be a true sour beer put into a can. Uh, it's a really big thing here at Cricket Save. We don't do any kettle sour or anything like that. Everything uses the organisms and all the organisms are alive to continue to evolve. And so, I mean, you're getting something that you might pay, you know, ten, twelve dollars for a three seventy-five mil bottle, you know, twenty dollars plus for a, you know, champagne cork and cage, and being able to get that in a six-pack, twelve-ounce format—that's something that that really is a kind of revolutionary that we look to do to, to set ourselves aside, and also, you know, disturb, disrupt really, and and play around with the wild and sour beer market to bring consumers in and and show them this, you know, if you will, wild side. This beer, it's it's the best launching point for that. Yeah, this is definitely an approachable, you know, sour. Sure. And we talked a little bit, Chad, during the break that uh, these rosé ales are actually quite popular. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, something we've actually been doing this for a few years now, and so I, I would say we definitely saw this coming and being able to do it. And you know, people who are looking forward or looking to other places where there are consumer trends and things going on. You know, the first brewery that I really know that did this is Jester King. And they did it by aging the beer, the, the wild beer, on top of raspberries they'd already used. And we did something then very, very similar. And it was kind of the one-two punch. Before that, there were no sort of rosé-type beers in the market or anything like that. And so it was a few summers ago. And we saw it do really well, but... You know, they're really at a, a sort of a higher price point and everything and selling amongst all the other wild and sour beer. I think the huge success is bringing them to a price point where it's applicable to the consumer. And I mean, Rosé is, it, you can't deny it's hot right now. You watch any movie show on Netflix or something like that, and there's some comment about Rosé. It's right. pretty, pretty cool. The timing's awesome. That's interesting that both beer and wine are kind of on the same page with uh, with that at the same time with those Converging. flavors being there. Yes. Absolutely. So I'm curious, because um, I've seen this mentioned a few times recently. I think a lot of it was with your stuff, but a few other places as well. What do you get out of aging beer on spent fruit as opposed to the fresh fruit? What, what's the difference there? I, I'm assuming you're still getting a lot of the flavor from the fruit that way, or what? what's the difference there? The uh, main thing you're going to get on fresh fruit is going to be the actual character of the fruit. It's going to be much larger, rounded taste and mouthfeel from that fruit. When you go second-use fruit, you're going to get a much lighter fruit character and color as well. Yeah, and that's uh, – Chad, I'm assuming the beers you're talking about were Atrial Rubicide and La Vie and Rose from Jester King, correct? Yep, absolutely. Those are them. Yeah, and- and I tell you what, I'll be honest. I personally prefer La Vie and Rose to the HL Rubicite. It uh, has a little more drinkability, I guess, but there's still good flavor there. It's a fantastic beer. 
As I recall, atrial rubicite was it's it would, intense. It would take the it's enamel intense. off your teeth, yeah, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chad, something that you may have guessed we wanted to talk about a little bit here. And and you know, I imagine this is something that anytime you talk to somebody, this this is a a heavy topic due to your expertise in this area. But we want to talk a good bit with you about Britannomyces. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> fine. Yeah. Well, that's something that, you know, we'll start with the Britannomyces project. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so I think to to kind of put all this perspective in perspective, especially as you were talking about, you know, seven thousand breweries and all of that. So if we kind of you know go on a, a trip down history lane, if you will, uh, I think that's the saying, something like that. Memory that's lane, it. history yeah. lane, something, yeah. some lane avenue, you know, boulevard. Um, so yeah, so if you go back about eight years ago or so, right in there, and and really the Potato Mice's projects, man, this year might have been. It's uh, 10 years old, so that's It's pretty awesome. There was only one other brewery in the country who was entirely focused on wood-aged sour beers, and that was Jolly Pumpkin. So pretty interesting to think that I would venture to guess there is at least 5,000 to 6,000 breweries that have made some sort of Britannomyces wild sour beer now. And you go back 10 years ago, and there was one who was entirely focused on it, and there was about eight total who had ever made a wild or sour beer. You know, you're talking about New Glarus, Russian River, Lost Abbey, I guess just about Odell, New Belgium, Avery, uh, Ithaca Brewing Company, Captain Lawrence. Yeah, that's, that's... That's probably a lot of it just about, right? Yeah. That's it right there. So the Botanomyces Project was really revolutionary because at the time, all brewing science, literature, and anecdotal said that you could not primary ferment with Britannomyces yeast. Yet, I'd seen Russian River do it. I'd seen Lost Abbey do it in their collaboration with New Belgium. And Avery was working on a project as well. So really, I, what I set out to do was you know, rewrite brewing science, saying like, yes, this is possible to primary ferment with Britannomyces yeast strains and solely Britannomyces yeast strains, but then also learn as much about it. Uh, I was fortunate to go to school a bit Fort Collins at CSU. So drinking Lothalie from New Belgium was secondhand. I love to tell the story that uh, we would even pregame and drink Lothalie before going out to the bars. So that was <laughs> That's some serious pregame in there. Pretty fun. Um, that was kind of that, that beer culture that we came from. And so I wanted to learn as much about wild and sour beer as possible, but it didn't matter how much just I learned. I wanted to be able to drink other people's and I wanted to really, really be able to move wild and sour beer forward to where it, where it is now and to that knowledge and experience because there was so much mistruths really that needed to be changed and rewritten. So doing the Britannomyces as my master's project and then putting it online made that information available to so many other people so that we can be at the place that we're at now. Sure. And so you said that it's it's possible to primary ferment with Brett. Is is it something that – I always think about Brett being something that takes a long time and will chew through everything given enough time. Can you turn around a beer as quickly on some strain of Brett as you can with more traditional brewing yeasts? Yeah, and that was the whole point of the research was to see if you could do it in you know, 28, 35 days. Uh, we make – we have two Britannomyces. We call them our Britannomyces Fundamentals. It's Colorado Wild Sage and St. Breda. 
And both of those are four week beers with Britannomyces. Wow. Interesting. That's I didn't I didn't know you could turn anything around that fast. Absolutely. Now do you do you know Chad or or do we as a collective brewing industry know uh, how many strains of uh, of Britannomyces have been discovered? You know, banks, probably around a hundred would okay. be my guess, both independent and commercial and, and laboratory, like uh, you know, national yeast labs that that collect strains and cbi in those and, and in belgium and germany as well probably around 100 there's ultimately there's an infinite amount of different types the genome to britannomyces is so complex that take take saccharomyces as an example saccharomyces cerevisiae essentially brewer's yeast or ale yeast as we think about it top fermenting you know all those different strains chico ale yeast scottish ale yeast this trap is strain that strain um those are all just Saccharomyces cerevisiae. So Britannomyces bruxellensis alone is five to ten times more diverse of a genome than Saccharomyces. So if you think about all the different strains there are right now, you know, times that by five to ten or infinitely more for Britannomyces bruxellensis, let alone there's also Britannomyces animalis, Clausini, or uh, Castercianus, Nardensis, Nanus. So yeah, it's a world of, of yeast varieties, basically varietals out there of Britannomyces that could be played around with. I had no idea at all that there was that, that many. I knew there were several, but I didn't yeah. know it was quite that much. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break, but we'll be back soon to talk more with Crooked Stave. Are you thinking about opening a brewery in the Atlanta area? If so, take a look at the Park at Georgetown. This unique community will feature a collection of restaurants as well as a craft brewery within the new JW Homes luxury development, Dunwoody Green. Conveniently located less than half a mile from I-285, this enclave of restaurants will be the gathering place in Dunwoody. Krim and Associates, the developer of the Park at Georgetown, wants to talk to you. For more information, call Todd Semrau at 404-226-6526. It's Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock and Alpharetta are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks daily, so that way you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and coming soon to Duluth in 2018. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. So, you know, if you want to, go ahead and uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout-out to one of our great radio affiliates, Real Talk 93.3 FM in Tallahassee, Florida. Catch Beer Guys Radio on Real Talk 93.3 every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We're talking to Chad Jacobson and Troy Montrone from Crooked Stave. Chad, I have one more question for you coming back off of all this Britannomyces talk and all these different strains and that. Um, I believe it was Trinity Brewing uh, out there in Colorado that did, they called it the Magical Britannomyces Tour. Are you familiar with that? No, I don't think I've heard that one. So they did a series of beers where it was just a single strain of breath. They released, I think it was eight beers maybe, maybe eight different strains 
where they just use a single strain of Brett so people could see the different, uh, the character that each strain produced. Have you ever done anything along those lines? Yeah, I would say what really kicked off Crooked Stave that was done that um, I think even probably kicked off the idea for many of the different Brett beers people started doing was the Wild Wild Brett series. So we based it off the color wheel. Again, this was back when there were two or three Britannomyces beers total. And so, you know, I wanted to play around with the idea of what is a Britannomyces beer? You know, if you say Pilsner or Porter or IPA, you have a preconceived notion of what those are. So what is a Britannomyces beer? And I wouldn't exactly say that we know what that is today, but I think we have a better idea, which is great because that allows creativity and innovation to play in. And so our Wild Wild Brett series, in order to create, basically build that creativity and that innovation into it, played off the color wheel. So we always call it the Roy G. Biv series, which is red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And so made different Britannomyces beers, chose different Britannomyces strains for sort of each one and that base to it to build yeah, different, different Britannomyces beers with different ingredients and see what stuck. And what's really cool is that a few of those became full-time beers and even to this day still are. Wild Wild Brett Orange turned into... St. Breda, and we still have St. Breda in a can. It's one of our top sellers. So that's a great way to educate and kind of get those different strains out there for people to taste. Yeah, I did. I wasn't able to get all of those uh, Brett Tour beers, but got a couple, and it was interesting to see, you know, the extreme differences from one strain to the other there. Oh, sure. So we're, we've are we just gotten into your, your IPA. What can you tell us about that? Is this done with Brett as well, or is this one of your clean beers? For lack of a better term, yeah, it's, it's one of the clean beers. We tend to just refer to it as IPA. Uh, it's kind of funny when we say, oh, yeah, you know, like it, it's clean. Then people look at us like, so the others are dirty? The others are dirty. The others are yeah. dirty. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a term of convenience where we talk so much about Brett. So yeah, within it, the lacks, it lacks Brett as far as uh, anybody intends it to be. So <laughs> Yeah, no, we have a, a pretty amazing brewery. If you guys ever get the chance to come out and visit, really built three breweries inside of one completely ran by quality it's amazing so as you walk through uh we can call it the attention to detail tour you'll see separate sets of equipment of every single kind for every single beer so we separate uh green clean so the non-brett non-bacteria beers then we separate Britannomyces from the clean and from the bacteria and then we have the mixed culture. And so the Brett ones have the basically the color designation of black and all the sours have the color designation of red. And it's every fermenter, every gasket, every pump, every hose, every sight glass, uh, every valve, every sample pour, the transfer lines, the bright tanks, the kegging equipment, everything, no, no stone unturned. Uh, and so it's a pretty, pretty immaculate and, and well thought out concept. And the training that, you know, everyone goes through, you know, that Troy passed on to his team and everyone works with is pretty amazing. So we have still never, you know, I think we're going on nearly three years, uh, two and a half years with, yeah, almost three years actually, with never having a single uh, misinoculation, infection, anything you want to call it. Um, Are you near your barrels there where you can knock on them real knock quick? Knock on barrel, so. yes. Yeah, they're, they're very close. They're right there over there. There you go. A little knock on wood, huh? So you're, I, I know that you're not a fan of the, the clean, the, the term clean beer. And I've also heard that you're not a fan of terms like horse blanket and barnyard as flavor descriptors, uh, Chad. 
Uh, why, why is that? Uh, just, just think about, you know, going out to the nice pastures and bottling up that delicious aroma and flavor and then drinking it. Uh, you know, barnyard is just not something you want to drink. There's some people who've told me, oh, when I think of barnyard, I think of hay and such. And I'm like, no, that, that's hay. When I think of <laughs> that's, that's, horse, yeah. that's, that's for anyone who's ridden a, a horse before. <laughs> You know, that horse just sweats underneath the saddle and, and urinates. And that's pretty much what a horse blanket is. It's like and sweat. And I don't know, but last time I checked, that's not really what I'm into drinking. How about feet? Because that's a term that I hear cheesier feet sometimes, with uh, especially with mixed fermentations or spontaneous fermentation. Yeah, I mean, it, I think those are all characteristics that you should stay away from. Um, probably not safe to drink. That's for sure. Those characteristics. Good, good Belgian beer does. Uh, let's be more specific. Good spontaneous beer from from Brussels and from that area doesn't have that that characteristic. It's clean and citrusy and and really nice, you know. So we really look to accentuate the positive characteristics in beer, um, just like IPA. You know, you don't want your IPA to be all skunky and onions and garlic and all that characteristic. I've had that beer. Yeah. I've made that beer. Yeah. Yep. And then you learn how not to make that beer. So that's the good thing. And that's the same thing with Canomyces. Yes. We really look to accentuate citrus, tropical fruit, you know, the, the, what we find to be quality attributes of Britannomyces yeast strains. Troy, we would like to talk to you some about uh, about cellaring there. So for those that don't know, what does a cellarman do? What's the purpose of a cellarman? Cleaning. Cleaning? cleaning. That's cleaning. job duty number cleaning. one. Number one cleaning. Oh. No, uh, cellaring, I mean, you're really in charge of that beer. I mean, you're the one transferring the beer. You're going to be the one if that beer, you know, picks up any dissolved oxygen on its way to the bright tank, if there's any discrepancies once it actually gets carbonated you're going to be the one that that individual goes back to and kind of has to answer what went wrong in that process so cellaring you're in charge of everything from transferring to cleaning to making sure each individual part is set up correctly and it is a huge huge task here at cricket Dave. i saw a quote online where someone says that wort is made in the brew house but beer is made in the cellar do uh, you think that's an accurate statement? I would absolutely agree with that. So that's probably you're probably the real hero at Crooked Stave, yeah. is that right? Um, I would say my team is are all the real heroes here. Without, without them, Fair not, I could not do uh, what is possible. So you you talk about uh, like spikes and dissolved oxygen. I'm thinking barrels. How do you avoid like more dissolved oxygen getting into a beer? That seems like you're kind of inviting that, right? I mean. That seems there is micro oxygenation inside of all wood. You just can't avoid it. It's just keeping your barrels, you know, topped up, making sure that they're in the right environment. You know, here in Colorado, we don't have too much humidity. So for the wood, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it'd be a negative thing, but that's also where we come in. We'll spray the barrels, spray the fooders down. So the wood stays swelled. So the pores don't allow as much oxygen to get inside. And then once we transfer the beer out of the barrel or out of the fooder, we always purge our lines completely with CO2 for a very long time to make sure that there is no oxygen inside of those lines. Okay. 
That makes sense. You know, you mentioned being in Denver and I read an article from uh, Stan Hieronymus talking about hop usage at high elevations and that. So I know that the the uh, percentage utilization on hops at higher elevation is lower, but are there other challenges you face being in Denver with maybe in the cellaring process? For me, it would have to be biggest would be evaporation. Okay. That would, being dry, drier yeah. in the higher elevation. Big higher. angel shoot. Yeah. Or is it devil share? Well, and it's, yes. makes sense. it's not as large as when I, you know, as y'all know, I come from the woodlands and being from the south. And when I came out here, I thought that, you know, the angel share would be very, very large, but it is not as large as what I thought it would be. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting stuff. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break, but we'll be back very soon with more from Crooked Stave. Looking for a great way to promote your business? CedarStream has what you need. For apparel, stickers, signs, and banners, we're your one-stop shop. There are never any art fees or setup fees. And if you need your items quickly, there's no additional charge for rush orders. Whether you own a brewery, bar, bottle shop, or other business, CedarStream is ready to serve you. Visit cedarstream.com for more info or call 800-686-7488 for immediate assistance. CedarStream. We print America. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing. Establishing a new standard in craft beer. the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram boy that escalated quickly i mean that really got out of hand fast now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show if you enjoy the show please consider supporting us on patreon just go to patreon.com slash beer guys patrons get some cool perks like beer guys swag and commercial free episodes we're broadcasting from the beer guys radio studios at marietta georgia and we're talking with chad Jacobson and troy montrone from Crooked Stave. Troy, we would like to talk to you about all your barrels and fooders and wood vessels that you have there. So you use a large variety of all of these types of vessels, correct? Absolutely. And uh, some unusual woods. I know French or American oak is pretty common in there, but what are some other woods that you make use of? Um, we have some, we have one cognac fooder. We have some uh, brandy barrels, we have uh, VSOP barrels, we have um, sherry barrels, we have, oh Lord, you have a ton. About how many barrels do you think you have on site there or across your facilities? 20, so off the top of my head, it's like 27 fooders, 500 wine and whiskey barrels, yeah, 75 punch-ins, and then almost 100 more bourbon barrels of clean like imperial stout. Okay. That's now Troy, I don't think we've mentioned it on the show yet. Uh, we got to know you when you were here in Atlanta. You worked for a uh, Sweetwater at their Woodlands, their barrel aging and, and sour facility there, wild facility. Yes. And we were fortunate we were there as the fooders started moving in and that. But what is the advantage to uh fermenting beer and fooders? 
the variety of flavors that you'll get from the oak. I mean, I love fermenting inside of fooders, you know, and especially mixed fermentation inside of fooders, not necessarily just doing, you know, a clean beer inside of fooder. That's because like, the, the wood or the fooder itself kind of picks up its own culture. So you, when you add the beer to it, that, that fooder has its own character that it imparts. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, each fooder is its own individual character and taste. It builds its own uh, neighborhood of bacterias and things like that. So I, I'd seen on uh, social media that you had some cooperage display or demonstration events. Are you guys building? What, what happens? Are you building barrels? In that's what we doing. That's going to be my lead salesman, Ryan Lambert. And so he will basically, we'll get barrels in. And if we look inside the bunghole in the barrel and we see any crystal formation or any blisters or anything like that inside of the barrel, we'll actually pop the heads off, get inside of the barrels and actually scrape them down and clean inside of that barrel and then put it back together. What does uh, crystal formation imply? What's happening there? What is that's going to be it's from the wine? Yeah, it's essentially a precipitate from the wine that's kind of left. Oh. In the same time, you get that sometimes in bottles of wine as well. You'll see it. And it's left inside, and you really want to get that compound out of the barrels. Okay, interesting. I know everything uh, can leave its own character there, do different sure. things to the wood. Now, Troy, we talked a little bit about you just had an interesting project, or you have one coming up doing uh, an interesting spontaneous beer. Is that right? Yes. Um, Chad has allowed me to do all 100% spontaneous fermentation to where I will do about, I've got it down to about an eight hour brew day with a three hour boil using all whole leaf aged hops. And then we pump the wort up into our cool ship. We'll let it sit overnight. And it's really neat the way Chad has designed this brewery and the fact that at the brew house, the whole top of the brew house is actually a Colorado oak. So all the organisms... From that oak, kind of fall down into the ward overnight, and collect, and then we pump them over into punchins to start spontaneously fermenting. So, with that, I think you had mentioned that that you you use uh, Colorado malts in that too, right? Locally sourced malts are the are the hops locally sourced as well? Yes, uh, one is going to be from Colorado Malt Company, and another one is going to be from a malting company called uh, Genie, and that's we're using that for the pale malt. Okay, okay. You know, and you'd mentioned that this is a double concoction. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so pretty much I will basically mash all the grain in, and then I run off a certain portion into our kettle. I'll heat that up and then send it back over on top of the grain bed, stir the grain bed back up, and then run off that same amount again and basically step that up to a higher temperature, send it over to the grain bed. And each time I'm basically stepping the temperature of the grain bed up, extracting different starches, extracting different sugars. And then I'll do our main runoff, sparge really hot. And I'm basically doing that to do what you don't want to do in brewing. And that's to strip tannins off of all your grain. So Chad, question for you. You mentioned something a little bit earlier. We were talking about flavor descriptors in the beer. And the, the, the horse blanket, the cheesy and that. And you made a comment that Belgian beer doesn't have these, you know, doesn't have these characteristics. Is there a big difference in the beers, you know, made in Belgium in this style and in the American beers made in that same style? Yeah, I think there are some people who probably won't agree with that. And they're like, oh, my God, I've had Belgian beer and it's got this character in that. I think if you look deeply at it and you have more Dre Fontaine and you have more bone goose, and especially if you have them over in Europe, you kind of taste them and, and can get to appreciate more of that citrus, citrus rind type characteristics that you get from it. 
not concentrating on the cheesy and all these kind of negative aspects. And when you kind of look, look at them for the positive character that they are. So it's kind of on that. Then the other is just, you know, with the amount of experimentation, I think the best way to put it is the saying trial and error, right? It's called trial and error, not trial and success for a reason. So a lot of people really just throwing darts at the wall, if you will. And, you know, some beers that turn out really funky and get really wild. And sometimes the consumer in, in America is maybe a little more obsessed with the more aggressive and the more strange. And I don't always think that's better. And I think that's kind of a, a big aspect to it. Why do you think that is? Why why is the extreme so much more appealing over here versus, well, I, I would assume is more subtle characters and say, you know, your Belgian spontaneous is. I, I just kind of think that's our, our culture and, and kind of our society and probably part of, uh, you know, wanting to experiment, wanting to try different things, but also being open to new things as well. So you know, more willing to try stuff. So I think all those things are, are really great at the same time and build a great part of our culture that's exciting. Sure, sure. Yeah. So where is the industry now? I mean, when you started, there was almost no knowledge of Brett and what it does really. There was, you know, some tribal lore, I suppose. But where where is the industry at now with its knowledge of Brett? Is there still a lot to learn? Or are we pretty close to having a very rounded understanding of, of this yeast? I think there's an okay base for, you know, a handful of brewers who are, do what they do consistently from a knowledge standpoint. I mean, I would still say it's very young, but I also think that our knowledge of Saccharomyces, especially as brewers, is is really young as well. Um, that's just maybe even part of the brewing industry a little bit. So, you know, I, I think we're in a, in a nice place, but still the you know, just scratching the surface with so many things. I hope this makes sense, but are, is there anything about Britannomyces that we know we don't know? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Like a stumper. I mean, you yeah. kind of go along the lines sometimes of ester formation and given, so for example, if your water has a certain amount of bicarbonate inside of it, you know, that could produce different esters that we don't really know about yet. Okay. All right. Well, you know, but before we let you go, I, I figured I had to jump in here and, and mention that you have a uh, recent beer release, the uh, Coffee Baltic Porter. And I was curious about that. I love coffee and beer, but I have ne- i don't think I've ever seen that in a Baltic Porter. Why go Baltic with that? Uh, I love I love Baltic Porters. You know, uh, Porters are nice, but I find them to be maybe a little bit dry sometimes. The Baltic Porter, and, and our Baltic Porter really is like the Danish version of Baltic porters. I love Baltic porters that are brewed in Denmark. And there's a handful of breweries here in the U.S. who really kill it with their Baltic porter. And so the the softer, you know, complementary characteristics you get from lagering, essentially these a porter, having a little bit bigger base to it, just creates a really nice, smooth, rounded beer. And then you know, playing around with coffee is getting to branch out and beverage and other artisans who are making a, you know, a high quality product from amazing beans from around the world and getting to play with those flavors, which, you know, lend into the Baltic Porter itself. So that sort of Danish stint for that Baltic Porter's uh, well-rounded beer that I, I particularly love. It's a coffee beer, so Brian's going to mention yeah, I, it. He's I'm, got I'm to. into it. Absolutely. I have had Baltic Porters before and I have enjoyed them. I wasn't I didn't have a very full understanding of, of the style. Okay. Yeah. Well, now you know more, Brian. You're learning Indeed. every day here, yes. man. Learning every day. 
Well, uh, Troy, Chad, thanks so much for joining us, guys. We really do appreciate it, uh, you taking your time to talk to us here. If folks want to find out more about Crooked Stave or find where to come visit you, what is the best way for them to do that? I would definitely plug checking out crookedstave.com for the website. It's got tons of information on our seller reserve membership, on the beers we brew, and also links to you know, Instagram and other medias like that, which are super easy to get on and see what's going on and update it to the minute, really. Excellent. Sounds good, guys. Thank you very much. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Coming up next week, we're talking with Duclaw Brewing's head brewer, Brandon Stanko. For more craft beer info, follow us online. We're Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to subscribe to the Beer Guys Radio Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers. The Beer Guys Radio Show on the Beer Guys Radio Network. BeerGuysRadio.com Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, Your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Dukes is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Dukes. It's got twang.